Welcome to the Fine Art of Real Estate, a weekly podcast hosted by real estate agent Cynthia Wallershine from M3 Realty in Elm Grove, Wisconsin. In each episode, she will feature an expert in real estate, real estate investing, and the fine art of negotiating a real estate transaction, taking a more creative approach within the real estate world for both sellers and buyers. In this episode, part two, Mike Danielson, Vice President of Waterstone Bank, will once again share his experience and knowledge about commercial real estate investing. So all of you flippers out there and new real estate investors, listen up. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Enjoy the show. Is there any advice that you would give young entrepreneurs or people looking to get into more commercial ventures like commercial properties and things. Sure. Any advice you would give? We've talked a lot for entrepreneurs and people starting. Um, I, I would say uh, already, but for people that are maybe, that, we'll talk a little bit about people that are going to be investors in real estate. Maybe they're going to buy income properties, things of that nature. Uh, I do work with a lot of people, all with varying levels of experience and skill doing that. And we oftentimes can, can, can make things work well for them. Um, the big thing you've got to know and have is you have to have a little bit of capital. You know, it, it, it's very hard to buy an investment property with little or no money. Um, there, there's this acronym out there called BRRR, B-R-R-R, you know, it, it, you know, it's buy, rehab, refinance, uh, re-rent, resell, or whatever. BRRR is a great strategy when you're starting out. But the one thing with Burr that oftentimes isn't told is you have to have an exit strategy. And there's nothing wrong with using hard money to help. Hard money has a place, and it's very, it's very valuable, and it's very good to have people that do this. Hard money works a little different than a bank. Um, they're taking a lot more risk. There's a lot less documentation. It's just kind of a very abbreviated underwriting. It's very quick turn time. Here's your money. Now, um, you know, we have a feeling it feels pretty good, you know, or someone vouched for you. It's, it's very, it's, it's non-traditional, but they are taking the risk. So therefore they are entitled to a much bigger return on their money. So a hard money loan might be, you have the loan for six months. It has to be paid back with principal and interest in six months. Otherwise six months in one day, I own it. So, you know, if you're going to go in, it works a lot. A lot of times people that flip homes or, you know, buy and quick rehab and then resell will do that. But you have to have a plan because if you finance, the hard money lender will give you 100% a lot of times of the cost of the improvements plus the cost of the property. But if you're going to keep it and not sell it, you need to refinance out of that. A bank typically will look at for the first year, they're going to say the property is worth the lesser of it's appraised value or it's purchase price plus the cost of the improvements. So in other words, you don't get instant equity. The basis of the property is what you've put into it. The acquisition cost plus the renovations. Oh, okay. So banks will typically lend on that. You know, a lot of times it's, you know, Hey, I, I did this loan. I, or sometimes people say I bought this property with cash and fixed it up. I've decided I'm going to keep it in my portfolio can I get most of my money back? Sure, I can give you 80 cents on the dollar back. I'll lend you 80 LTV on that, no problem. How long have you had it? Well, less than a year. Well, I'll give you back 80% of what you've spent on it. Now, one year and a little bit past a year, let's get an open market appraisal, and now I could lend you 80% of that number. But a lot of times when people start in real estate investing or flipping, they want to immediately cash out, and then obviously, yeah, I need money for my next one. You have to remember, or you know, 
if you're going to do that, if you're going to finance most of it and not have cash money tied into it, you have to have an exit strategy to get out of that hard money loan because those are typically six-month loans. If you need to buy an extension, it can be potentially very costly. Um, and the carrying cost of that can, can add up very quickly. It can rob you of your equity very quickly. So have a plan if you're going to be investing in flipping homes. Now, people that have done a handful of them, they've amassed a little bit of capital, different situation. Okay, now it's, you know, I'm going to just, I just want to borrow money to buy this property. I'll use my own cash to fix it, which is good because now you control the money. You do it at your pace. You're not doing it at the bank's pace where you're going to have construction draws and inspections and all of that because... The bank's not just going to say, oh, here's 50 grand, go fix it up, we trust you. No, we're, we're, we're going to control every penny of that. You're, you're going to have to do some work and then put in to get reimbursed out of the loan proceeds for it. We'll have someone go and look at it, make sure all that stuff is done, and we'll do a draw. It's like a construction situation. Okay. So with people that are starting out, you've got to get those first three or four and save as much of that money as you can because once you're at the point where you're an investor – where you can just put your 20% down to buy it and have your construction or rehab money in cash, and all you're doing is having the bank cover 80% of the purchase price, you're going to have a lot more doors that open for you. It's going to be a lot easier to get things done. Um, so for those people, again, listening that are beginning to get into real estate investing, it's very important. Have some capital on hand. Uh, I've talked to many people where, you know, I want to do this. I believe in myself. I'm in the trades. I can do a lot of the stuff. That's great. Well, what kind of capital have you? Well, I've got, you know, $5,000. Well, it's going to be risky. I mean, if you, if you borrow all of it, you need to have an exit strategy to get out of it. Because if, if the bank can only lend you 80 cents on the dollar based on what you spent on it for that first year, but you got to get out of the loan within six months, you're going to be in a gap there that you're going to need to cover. Well, how do you cover it with money you don't have? And I think a lot of, um, I've attended a couple of the flipper seminars mm -hmm. and every, every couple months or some big well-known guy comes into Milwaukee mm -hmm. and the room is packed and all these people think they're going to be able to buy these houses for no money mm -hmm. and that they, they are, whether they can buy it for a tax lien, you hear that right. and, and so on. And I was kind of amazed. I went to one because I was just curious mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm listening to people afterwards, and, you know, we had break sessions and yep. things. And I was listening to people, and they really bought that they could buy it for no money. Um, and then, then the money they thought they could go to a bank or a, um, a commercial banker and just get the money to rehab because they were going to buy the house and the rehab and the bank was just waiting to write them out checks. Or they were going to do a tax lien and buy the property because there was mm -hmm. a, a tax lien. Well, a lot of what they don't tell you on the tax liens is that these houses are basically one step from being condemned. Right. And, um, in, and in some cases in Milwaukee County, they are being condemned. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot of money to mm -hmm. fix and rehab those type of houses. Mm -hmm. There's mold. There's really toxic mold. There's um, termites and, and, you know, a lot of, you know, issues. And how do you... How do you explain to someone who's gone to these seminars? And I think 
some of them are free, mm-hmm. free seminars, and and say to them a lot of times it's a free seminar, it. but you know, buy my kit, buy my buy my yes. audio <laughs> tapes, or buy my buy my workshop That's for it. you know eight hundred dollars, and then all my secrets and pro tips are in there. That's mm-hmm. a lot of times how those work. Yeah, and everybody beehive to the back of the room and bought the CDs mm-hmm. and the and they weren't inexpensive, like you said, eight hundred a thousand dollars. And um, and I kept thinking, well, they got a quick, fast one thousand dollars out of you, and and so on and so forth. True story. I did that when I was young. Do you remember Carlton Sheets? Yes. I one night was watching late night infomercials, and I picked up the phone <laughs> and I ordered that thing, and it was like three hundred bucks at the time, and. You know, I was so excited to get it, and I read it, and I had so many unanswered questions, but it was like, where does this come from? But where does that come from? And and, and I'm not saying don't buy these programs. What I'm saying is if you're going to get into this, a fact that a lot of the books won't tell you is they'll say it is possible to do it with other people's money. Don't use a dime of your own. It is still wise to have a significant chunk of your own money liquid and handy because there will be things that come up that the books didn't talk about or conditional things or possible yeah. you know, uh, structural thing, whatever it is. There will be things that come up that cost money. And, and to have inspectors come and look at all that stuff, you may have to hire someone to do a foundation inspection, a roof inspection. You need money to cover the, some of those soft costs as you do your due diligence. Now, you might spend eight, nine, two thousand dollars $2,000, whatever it is, on that and decide, I'm going to pass on this one. Well, now you didn't make any money, you spent money, but it saved you from probably making a really bad mistake. So the advice I would have for people that are starting out that are still, you know, look, I want to do this, but I don't have a lot. Wait until you have some capital because you will need it or, you know, have a plan for where that's going to come from. Now, once you've done a handful of them and you have equity and other properties, it opens up a lot more doors. I mean, I have some clients that have 40, 50, 60 houses and, you know, some of them are, have no debt on them at all. Some of them have just a little bit of debt. Some of them have you know, a very high percentage of debt on them. Now it opens up a lot of doors because if they want to raise capital to do something, well, yeah, let's pick these three or four houses. Let's put a lien on those. Let's do a loan against that bundle. And I can either give you a loan or line of credit that you can use to buy other houses. Because everyone that's a real estate investor, especially with, uh, multi, you know, with single family, one to four family and multifamily, their goal is, I want to build my empire. I want to get another one. I want to get another one. And so what they're doing is after equity builds in them, they lever up, restructure the debt load, and they get cash to continue building their empire. And I think leveraging up your properties is a good idea. I, I always bought uh, my commercial buildings, and it, the first one was hard. It was tough to deal with the banker, um, P&L statements, business plans, everything and but then my second because I, I was on time I had a history with a proven history with the building I was able to buy another building and then another building mm-hmm. and by the time I got to my third building I was able to kind of almost walk in the bank and I had a proven history yes. with a bank and um, I can't say they didn't ask for collateral they did mm-hmm. but it was so much easier the third deal that it was the first deal Agreed. And my first deal, as I said earlier, was a land contract. Mm-hmm. So, but that land contract was, you know, was a really great opportunity for us. And land contracts are, are, are a really good opportunity for anyone that's getting started because basically what it is is, 
you know, let, let's say Cindy's starting out and I own a building that she wants. We do a land contract. I'm basically, I'm selling her the building, but instead of her giving me a lump sum of money, we have an arrangement where she makes payments to me over a period of time that we negotiate. Maybe we do three years, you're going to pay me X dollars a month. But then at the end of that three years, you have to buy me out at this pre-agreed upon price. And we have an attorney drafted up. It's a contract. It's a yep. land contract. That's why they call it that. But at the point you approach that three-year mark, now what you can do is you can go to a bank like, you know, a commercial bank like Waterstone or whoever, and say, you know, I'm nearing the end of my commercial land contract. I have a perfect payment history here. My business is up and running. Let's underwrite. How is the business doing? Can it afford a traditional loan with the purpose of being to buy out the remaining balance of the land contract so that I can finally you know, be done with this? And we do a lot of those. It's a great way to get started. In fact, I'm working on a project right now for uh, a woman and her husband. They own an auto body shop, and they're buying a second location. Now, the original one they had was a land contract. Um, they paid it off about a year ago, so now they own this building with no debt. They didn't. You know, they have no debt on it. That's great. They're buying another building, and they don't have a lot for a down payment. So what we're going to do is we're going to lever up the other building to get money equity, theoretically, out of it, to use as the down payment on the purchase money loan we're going to do for the other building. So in, in essence, she will be able to buy this, and obviously subject to credit and underwriting, we're working through that, but it's looking pretty promising. Um, instead of having to come in with the down payment money, we're just doing another loan, cash out refi, on something she already owns that's paid for. And then between the two, between the two properties, she'll only be about 65, 70% exposed in the values if you spread it out over both of them. So it's a very low risk situation to the bank. The business does very well. It makes a nice profit. Um, plus one of the, 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 the husband owns a business and the wife has a regular job and she makes a good income too. So it looks really good on paper. I think it, you know, we just have to get through the underwriting, but I think it's, it's a very viable project and they're happy as can be. I can imagine. Well, it's always a good it's always a good opportunity, you know, to to buy a property or a commercial property and then, you know, pay it off or or pay it early or have a history and then if you're looking if you suddenly have to expand, which in my case I had to expand, mm -hmm. and then we started to leverage our other mm -hmm. properties. I was very lucky. I I the gentleman who owned the property that I bought didn't he I mean he liked me and everything but he was a little bit of a sexist okay. should I say and old German and um, he wouldn't sell to me and uh, he wouldn't even do a land contract with me and I showed him my money my accountant had done a very strong P&L statement for mm -hmm. him and he wouldn't sell and then one day I I I I was telling Jake earlier um, that I'm kind of um a little bit of a pit bull because I'll keep, you know, I don't hear the word no. I always hear a maybe. Okay. And so I'll keep contacting someone even if they say no to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept popping into this building because I wanted this building and it was, it was really well located. And one day I talked my father into going with me. And sure enough, he liked my dad, who was an old German, and the two of them headed off, and then he finally agreed to do sell the, the property um, to me. And um, we were in the property for 10 years, uh, paid it off actually early because mm -hmm. we had a 20-year agreement because I thought that would be my permanent location. Sure. And we ended up selling to a very large restaurant chain and did very well on that property. 
So, but I was still able to leverage mm-hmm. other properties because of that first land yes. contract one. Yep. And I think a lot of people really poo-poo land contracts thinking that, you know, it's not a good idea. And after hearing what you said, I, I'm in total agreement. That's another option mm-hmm. for someone who is looking for a creative way to get into real estate. And as long as the seller is willing to do it, uh, again, for it to work, it's got to be a seller that doesn't need the lump sum payment right now. They're willing to take a series of payments over time. And so if you can find that, uh, then it's a very good set of conditions for negotiating a land contract. And well, and often too, land contracts are interest rates and are a little higher they or can be. And they again, can it, be a little it, higher. It's negotiated between the buyer and the and the seller, whatever they feel is fair. Right. So, and yeah. so you have to know that going in. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. Um, Mike, I know we're getting near our time. Um, would you once again tell us how to get a hold of you, where you are? Sure. Um, um, feel free to give us your email or any kind of contact information you have. Okay. Well, again, I'm Mike Danielson, Vice President of Business Banking over at Waterstone Bank. Uh, my email is just my name, Mike Danielson at wsbonline.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you go to www.bankonbigmike.com, it will take you to my LinkedIn page, and you can certainly send me an instant message and go that way as well. Um, you know, the types of projects I do, uh, we, we do do um, working capital loans for businesses. I work a lot with both business brokers, commercial realtors, also residential realtors that will also you know, work with investors and dabble in commercial properties. I do a lot of work with accountants and attorneys as well. So, um, you know, all are you know, typically the types of folks that uh, I, I come into contact with often. But again, the everyday entrepreneur or the person just getting started that wants to invest and maybe learn a little of how it works, I would certainly welcome a phone call uh, or we can meet for coffee and discuss kind of how things work. Um, again, we talked a little bit about earlier what banks look at, the various things in order to have you know what we call the right stuff. Um, there's a combination of you know, your cash flow, your collateral, the character of you as a borrower, your overall credit situation, and just conditions within the marketplace, all things that that uh, go into it. We talked also a little bit about banks in general. Remember, uh, you know, those of you, are, you know, that maybe have had a bad experience with the bank, we can only afford to goof up two times out of 100. I know. I mean, <laughs> and maybe it's a little more. Maybe it's three times out of 100. But I always tell people we can only afford to goof up two times out of 100. So if it's not in the box, we've got to go back and say, is this one of the two that we want to use? Because uh, you know, we need 98 more than that are going to be paid as agreed, always on time every month. That's how thin the margins are. So it's important. We have to, it's on us. You know, I mean, we're lending you our money. We have to believe in it and make sure we make the right decision on the front end. Um, but I absolutely love what I do. Uh, I love meeting new people. Um, you know, I am different from a, your typical. When people think of a banker, they you know they have a certain thing that pops in their head. Um, but I guess what makes me different is I'm willing to meet with you. I'm willing to meet you at your place of business. I'm willing to meet with just about anyone. Um, easy to talk to. Easy to get to know and understand. And I will tell you the how and the why before 
behind things before I just say, well, you know, this probably, you know, a lot of banks will just, you know, you go, you tell them your dreams and they look at you and they say, no, that's not going to work. And that's the end of it. Um, I will explain the how and the why, what goes into what we're thinking. And I'll tell you that on the front end as we talk through it, because that way you have an understanding. Okay, you know what? If I go and do these sidestep, go do these couple of things, I'm going to be exactly what they need. But I need to fix these couple things first. And that happens sometimes. Now, sometimes it's, yeah, this is perfect. You've got all the right things. Let's get started. So, I mean, that happens too. And I, I have to do that as well. When I'm meeting with clients who want to purchase a house, we have like a buyer's meeting and we sit mm -hmm. down and we talk about, you know, what their projection is, where they want to live, their location, what are they pre-qualified, what are they looking at to buy and spend, um, and their budgets. And you have to sort of lay that out ahead of time mm -hmm. so that everyone is going in the same direction. And often when you don't, when we kind of cut that out, everybody's sort of running in different directions. One mm -hmm. person's understanding one thing, hearing another. And I think when you have clear communication, and I'm sure you can speak on that, it's really crucial when you're trying to put a deal together, whether it's a commercial loan or mm -hmm. whether it's a residential property or closing on a property. Those are all big key factors Absolutely. People, we, we have to know what the expectations are going to be of each other uh, on the front end. So, that, you know, it makes it easier to navigate when things don't go necessarily as planned. But remember, we talked about this and this, and this is why now that this is coming into play. So, Well, it's been absolutely a pleasure today to meet with you. Um, you are the most non-bankerish person I've ever met, and I have <laughs> met a lot of bankers. The, mo no, the most non-bankerish <laughs> banker. I like that. <laughs> and, or as this, as your card says, bank on Big Mike. I, I if if anyone is listening and they are thinking of commercial loans, um, I or even even a reference to like uh, a loan and you need some information. Mike is your guy. He's so hands on, very easy to talk to, very friendly. Um, in my opinion, he's a big teddy bear, but he's a sweetheart. And he will really go the mile for you. And I am honored and, and very, very excited that you came today and you had an opportunity to share your knowledge to both my listeners as well as to clients that are out there that are looking and struggling that want to do the different commercial venues that are out there mm -hmm. and some new opportunity to make money and grow a business. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fine Art of Real Estate. To learn more about our guests, see the show notes. And to learn more about Cynthia, visit her website, soldbywallersheim.com, or visit her profile on LinkedIn. You can also follow her on Instagram, at Cynthia Wallersheim, on Facebook, at Cynthia Wallersheim Realtor, and on Twitter, at Cynthia Wallers 2